So this is that game you made a play when you were a kid. You may still play it as a kid, but the idea, I'll ask you what you love. So how many of you love pizza? Raise your right hand. Okay, how many like love chocolate pudding? How many love vegetables? Fruits? How many love going to Disney World? Universal? Yeah, they are different, aren't they? Okay, how many love your mom? Love your dad? Love your siblings? <laughs> love God? <laughs> love Jesus? Now, as we do that, you all understand this, don't you? Pizza love is different than friendship love, which is different than God's love, right? But it's all one word. We have this one word love that covers all of those things that we just talked about. When we come to the Bible and we start talking about encouragement, it's a similar thing. The only problem is it's the Greek word that we're going to look at, where there's one word that has several meanings of how it comes out. And so we start talking about encouragement. It's understand what that word means and how it functions. So the word comes out at first. Jesus uses it to refer to the Holy Spirit. It's parakaleo. It comes from the forming of two words. Para is to come alongside. Kaleo is to call out or to call towards. So it's the idea of all of a sudden when you need help, somebody comes alongside and gives you help. So it's usually translated as a helper, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Or the Holy Spirit is our counselor. Or the Holy Spirit is our advocate. But see, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps us in life. Now, in actuality, he doesn't just come along our side. In actuality, when we trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit actually comes within us and it indwells each and every believer. But there's a work that he does at times when we need that help, that counsel, even that advocate that speaks up for us. And that's called a paraclete. But now you come along and you have the verb. A paraclete does paraclao. And that means all of a sudden there's this action that it takes place. And also what we want to see today is that word is translated three different ways in the New Testament. And it shows us the power of this encouragement that we can have. I want you to just start thinking about the power of encouragement that takes place in our lives. The power that God uses encouragement on a daily basis in our lives. But also the power of encouragement that works in our lives with one another. And that encouragement comes to play. Or first introduced to this power of encouragement by the word comfort. And we read it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And here's what we read about comfort. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He says, I want you to understand, here's the power of encouragement. The first one is to understand that it gives comfort in affliction. He says, all of a sudden, comfort comes to those who find themselves in affliction. Now, understand what affliction is. Affliction isn't stuff that comes internally. It's the idea of something comes upon us that it's sort of like we're, it's out of our control. It just sort of happens to us. 
And when we find ourselves in those afflictions, what we need is comfort. Because they weigh us down, they wear us out, and we need comfort that comes. And somehow this Holy Spirit will comfort us, but, and God will comfort us. But, but he's also saying for God's people, we come along and we comfort those who are in affliction. Well, we understand affliction. Those circumstances that come upon us, they come upon us and they be long, oh, they can be so long at times. And we need that word of comfort that comes to us. We oftentimes think of comfort or affliction when it comes to health issues. When all of a sudden you're battling some health issue, whether it's cancer or some prognosis that you get and some diagnosis you get, and that somehow you're being told it's going to be this long process that you're going to go through. As you hear that news, as you start wrestling, well, what does it mean? You find this sense that you need comfort to your soul of how to deal with what's going on. Those afflictions can come financially. Where all of a sudden there may be decisions you made and all, but all of a sudden you lose a job and, and all the things take place. And all of a sudden there's this financial crisis you're in. And it just keeps going and going. There's this affliction that you said. It's beyond your control. But it, but it happened to you. And what you need is somebody come along and give you comfort for your soul to bring you along. It be circumstances you face. You're just things that break down. Things that just go wrong. And somehow you find this affliction to your soul of things that are beyond your control. And somehow you need comfort that comes into your soul and encourages you and strengthens you to get you through. We start realizing that what happens if we don't get the comfort that we need? What happens when all of a sudden what should be taking place doesn't happen? And the scriptures identify that our souls move in another direction and find themselves responding to that affliction emotionally in ways that God says that's not how it should be, but that is how it can be. Turn to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Now, because we're dealing with a word that shows up and translates three different ways, that means we have to go to three different passages. And as we go to three different passages, we're going to go to a few more passages. So today's a day we're going through a lot of scriptures in various places. But in Job chapter 2, we get a situation that takes place. It seems that Satan went to God and says, look, I want to take your most righteous man here, Job, and I think if you start putting, afflict him greatly... Make him suffer a lot. He will give up the faith. And God says, okay, you can do that, but don't touch his body. So the first thing he does is Satan takes all his property away, and there's this calamity that takes place, and everything's gone, burns down, it is gone. And in the process, though, he also takes his children, and they too die. And Job doesn't give up his faith, and, and God gives him then permission actually to touch his body and his health. And now he finds himself with his health gone, struggling physically, as well as emotionally with all those losses. We find himself in Job chapter 2. His wife responds this way to him. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women 
would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and also shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, one of the things that we struggle with when we come into affliction, when our souls are overwhelmed, when circumstances just keep pouring in, we can get frustrated and we can get angry. We get angry at God, we get angry at people. We can get angry because of what has happened to us is not fair. And the circumstances we find ourselves just can prompt anger in our souls. And so God understands that when it comes to affliction, the importance of comfort coming along because anger can rise up within our souls. And Job, Job had three friends that come along in the rest of the book. They don't encourage him. They don't comfort him. They accuse him that he did something to deserve what happened to him. And in all this, he doesn't sin. But anger could rise up. But there's a second thing that can happen. Turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Here we have a similar situation. This is what takes place in the life of Naomi. There's a drought that takes place in Israel. And Naomi and her husband move out of Israel, cross the Jordan River, and move into Moab. They start raising their crops there and farming and things, and their sons grow up there. Their sons get married. And now all of a sudden, as this, all this is taking place for Naomi, all of a sudden her husband dies. She lives, they live there a little longer, and then her two sons die. And now Naomi has lost her sons, lost her husband, has two daughter-in-laws tell them to go back home. She's moving back to Israel. Ruth said she'll go along with her. She'll stay with her. So the passage we have picks up as Naomi now comes back from Moab, shows up in Bethlehem, and we read this. So the two of them, that's Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi says, listen, I don't want you to any longer call me Naomi. And he changes her name to Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. When all of a sudden affliction comes upon us and it starts working in our lives, God identifies what we need is comfort to our souls. If that comfort doesn't come, the scriptures recognize, you know what? It can move from affliction to anger. And it can move from anger to bitterness. And God is saying, listen, the ministry of encouragement is that it brings comfort to the afflicted. So it can encourage them and comfort them and care for them to keep them on their walk with the Lord. It's interesting to see what it identifies here for that comfort. 
It says, the God of all comfort will comfort us in all of our affliction. Do you see what you're supposed to do with that comfort you get? You're supposed to take that comfort and turn and comfort other people with the very same comfort. Ever been in a situation where there's been affliction, sorrowful, you're wrestling with life and all? And somebody comes up and says to you, I know exactly how you feel. And you're standing there and you say to yourself, you have no idea how this feels. Because you've never gone through this. But isn't it different though? When another person comes up who's gone through the very same thing you're going through. Whether it's death, illness, whatever it is. And when they talk to you, they say, you know, I remember when I went through that too. And doesn't it change all of a sudden, how you hear and how they speak with those words of comfort to your soul. Oh, the great ministry that we have. The great ministry of encouragement is to bring comfort, to bring comfort when we're afflicted. Uh, but there's a second way to translate this word. Oh, it brings comfort to the afflicted. That, that's great power. But it also brings encouragement to the faint-hearted. And that changes the atmosphere again to another idea of like, here's what you need when you are faint-hearted is encouragement. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22. Paul's at the end of his letter. This is when you get to the end of all those letters where Paul starts greeting everybody says, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, and he says, give them holy kisses, and we don't practice that today, do we? But there's holy kisses they used to give. And the Lord is greeting everybody, but he tucks in here. He's in jail. This is one of the letters he mails out to them. The letter is brought by Tychicus. Here's what he writes to them, Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus... The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. So he's sending Tychicus with the letter in hand to tell them everything going on in Paul's life. And he continues, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now we talk about comforting and afflictions because afflictions come upon us. But when we talk about encouragement, it deals with our heart. That somehow on this journey that we are with Christ, that somehow our heart, our heart can get discouraged. That somehow our heart can become faint-hearted. Somehow our heart, something within us, all of a sudden just wants to quit, to sit down and stop, to say it's just not worth it. We don't want to go any longer. And we become faint-hearted. And the power of encouragement is that it comes in and encourages the faint-hearted. Oh, we get faint-hearted for a variety of reasons. Get faint-hearted because of the length of the journey. You look down the highway, so how far do we have to go? It's down the road. You know how it is. Plan that family trip. You all get in the car. Down on the road, you finally get to the highway. You finally step on the gas on the highway, and the kid in the back says, are we there yet? And you're like, no. We're not there yet. 10 minutes later, are we there yet? No, you may not get there. You know, the whole idea we wrestle with, 
are we there yet? Because the journey, the journey just wears us out. And we can't see the end. And we're not sure if it's hopeful to get all the way there. And the journey can wear us out just by the length, just by the length of the journey. But it also deals with the nature of the journey. I mean, the way the journey goes. You know how it is when you're driving and all of a sudden you're going down the highway and you come across this huge rainstorm. I mean, it's just, just rain just crushing down. What do you do? You pull off and you wait till it goes by because you can't journey anymore. You cannot see clearly what is going on. And the weather can change things. The terrain can change things. All of a sudden it's like, it is not going well. It's where I'm just tired of being in the rain. I'm tired of being in the wind. I'm tiring of those switchbacks in Colorado. I'm just tired. The nature of the trip is just tiring me out and I just want to quit. And somebody needs to come along and encourage. And then comes the difficulty of the trip. And sometimes it's really difficult. Mel and I worked at uh, Lake Geneva Youth Camp one summer. And we were college staff supervisors. And while we were there, we decided that we didn't know this, but we discovered there is a path that goes all the way around Lake Geneva. It's about 26 miles long, all the way around. No, I didn't do it. I'm just telling you what it is. <laughs> so there's this path all the way around it, but here's the law, the rule of the land there is, if you own property that is on the lake, you cannot set it off. You have to let people walk around the property line and get there. We found when you walked along there, it's pretty cool. They've got people who've actually paved it for you, and you're going, look, that's almost, they, they, they put benches there. She says, this is pretty nice and all. Then we found there were other people who didn't do much of anything, and all you had was, you know, we'd all walked on and nothing. All you had was this brown path that was just worn down. But then you came to the third one, and these were the people who knew that they were never told they had to take care of the path. They didn't have to fix the path. They just had to let you walk on their property. And we come to the spot, and I'm certain this guy had come outside, and he had this huge, his huge tree. I think he went down and dug out all the roots so that they were exposed. I'm just letting you know, they were three feet high. They were about four feet wide, and we come up to this, and I mean, they're all entangled. There's no way to get it. You need help. It's just difficult. And you come to it, and it's like, you know, so many people couldn't get through there. They actually had a cemetery nearby. The, 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 <laughs> not really, but they did take care of the cemetery, though. The, the, anyways, so you get there, and all of a sudden, how do you get across this thing? And we had two people on each side. And as you start, you, know, you had the ones who, they managed it. I mean, there, there were some that managed it all by themselves. But most of us, as we started, it was like, you got to a spot and it was like, what are we going to do? And they held a hand and got you across. It was just difficult. It was just difficult to get across those routes. And when it comes to this journey that we're on, at times it's just difficult. And what we need is encouragement. We need some words of encouragement. That somebody comes in alongside of us and encourages us. And you know with encouragers, oftentimes there, there's two things they can do. One is they can just be with you. Do you understand the power, the presence of a friend? They don't have to talk. They can just be there with you. They, just be quiet. You can just go on a walk with them and just quiet. And, and you get done with the trip and say, Boy, thanks for going with that. That was an encouraging day we had together. And it's like, I didn't do anything. That's right, power of presence. 
But there are the power of words too. Now, when it comes to encouragement, when we're all on the journey and we're just sort of tired and all, which, well, it's really sort of a, a pat on the back. Touch can help. Just a pat on the back. You're doing well. You're doing well. Just keep going. It's not cheering them on. It's just, just keep going. Just a word of encouragement to press on. And how good it is to hear. When you're doing stuff on a regular basis, day in and day out, that somebody just tells you that they appreciate what you did and thank you for it. You guys are so kind to us as pastors this last month. As we took home our jar, you didn't know this, but they gave us our jars last week. And we read what you wrote. And it was encouraging. It was encouraging. Some people wrote their names on the bottom so we know who to say thanks to. Many didn't. But it was just an encouraging, and you knew what you were doing, didn't you? When you wrote on that card, you knew you were writing an encourage. you knew what it was, an encouraging note of words on our journey of ministry. And same for you in ministry. The sacrifice you guys make to do ministry here. The early hours you get up to do some ministry here that some of you know that most of you don't know takes place. Those who stay late here to do ministry. Those who wrestle with the problems that are created during ministry. The whole idea when all of a sudden you've got volunteers or staff who get sick and can't be here, another substitute. And all that takes place on a regular basis. And for somebody to come up and just say a word of thanks and encourage them, what is normal activity, normal ministry, carries along. You know why? Because we all, we all get faint-hearted. All of us, our hearts, our hearts get tired and our hearts need to be encouraged, built up, strengthened, because the journey is long and the journey is difficult and the nature is unforeseen and we need words of encouragement. There's power, power in encouragement. It brings comfort to the afflicted. But we also say it brings encouragement to the faint-hearted. But the third way you translate this word is exhort. It exhorts the sinning. You know, all of us as believers, though we don't like to admit it, we admit it theologically, we know we sin. But we struggle to admit personally that we're sinning. We somehow make excuses for it. And there's a reason for that. Here's our third passage. Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Writer says this. Take care, brothers, Lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the 
deceitfulness of sin. Here's the picture we get here. As we're on this path of following Christ, all of a sudden there's this deceitfulness of sin. Sin's called deceitful because it doesn't appear that we're doing much wrong when it happens. And it deceives us into what's going on. How does it do that? When Hebrews later on in 12, it's going to tell us this. That when Moses was in in Egypt, and he's packing up to leave Egypt, that what he left behind was the pleasures of sin. We like to think that there's no pleasure in sin, but the reality is there is pleasure in sin. That's why we do it. If sin were not painful, I mean, if sin was unpleasurable, if it tasted horrible, if it did everything, if we knew that immediately, we would not do it, but it draws us in because there's pleasure in sin. Have you ever gotten angry at somebody? Said things that you may regret later, but it just felt good. It was sin. But there was pleasure. There was pleasure in the sin. And we're, we forget that it's a deceitfulness of sin that draws us in to think that we continue doing it. And all of a sudden, when we're engaged in activity like that, the power of encouragement is exhortation, to exhort. Exhort is different than comfort. But when I tell you you're going to go comfort somebody, can't you hear the tone of voice you have? You can hear it, can't you? The softness of your voice, the sense of being a listener. Exhorting doesn't say take time to comfort them. It's okay. I know you're sinning, but, but, but it'll be okay. You don't comfort them in their sin. You don't encourage them and say, you know, I know you're sinning. Why don't you keep doing it till it feels really bad? You don't encourage them in sin. What do you do? You exhort them to stop sinning. They need to stop. They need to stop. It's like watching somebody who's running across, coming to a street, and there's a red light, and they decide to run against the red light, and you see them, and you tell them, stop, there's a car. That's exhortation. That's what you do. And it's understanding that all of a sudden, this ministry is that we tell people to stop, to please stop doing what you're doing. Look at Hebrews 12 with me. This gives a little more clarity upon this sin of how it looks. The author here likens it to a race. So here's how the race goes on. Here's what takes place. But he also warns us how to run the race because there's things that can happen that will cause us to fail in the race. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight or encumbrance and let us, the, let us uh, lay aside every sin which clings or entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says a couple things to understand about this race. All of a sudden you can have things that are going to weigh you down when you run. And it's going to slow you down. You're not going to go as fast as you should. You're not going to make the goals you should because it's going to weigh you down. 
As he's writing to the Hebrews here, I think a good option that may be there is all of a sudden when we in our Christian life start creating things that we have to do, we call it legalism, that all of a sudden there's this legalism that we, everybody down with it, running the race with all this legalism. It's going to be hard to do because it's going to wear you out and you're paying more attention to the stuff that weighs you down. That's legalism. But he also says another one. He says, when sin entangles you. So now he's got the picture that somehow you stepped off course and you got all this sin which entangles you. And that's called license. When we start thinking that we can sin and it's okay because I can recite 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Whew, I'm cleansed again. I can sin again. Let me say it again. If we confess our sins and we go in this walk of where we think sin is okay, and all of a sudden you say, wait a second, that's license that takes place. And somebody needs to exhort us to stop sinning. There's two easy ways to understand the sins that we commit. One is the sin of commission. That's doing things we're not supposed to do. How do you know if you're sinning a sin of commission? Whenever the Bible says, do not do this, and you do it. That's committing a sin of commission. It's telling you what not to do, and you do it. And all of a sudden you do it. It's like, that's a sin of commission. It tells us not to gossip. That's a sin of commission. You're committing a sin that you know is a sin. But there's also sin's omission, the things you're supposed to do that you don't do. So as fathers and parents, we're not to exasperate our children. Hmm. But we do. It's a sin of omission. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. And all of a sudden we have here to understand when it comes to exhorting, it's understanding the sins that we commit, that somebody needs to speak into our life to say, stop doing what you're doing and do what you need to do. Here's how it's described there in verse 2. Here's why this race says, when it comes to exhorting those who are sinning, they're off track. They're looking at the wrong thing. Here's what verse 2 says. This person, as they run the race, says, how are they supposed to do it? Looking, I like New American Standard here, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the problem when they're exhorting somebody? They've taken their eyes off of Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, I was raised in Lutheran church, and one of the practices in Lutheran church was we had candles up in the front. With the candles up in front, they also trained young, young boys at that time how to light those candles. I remember standing in the back with a candle lighter. Now, the candle lighter has a wick that goes up like this that you light. It's got a little bell on it, too, that's called a snuffer. And so you go up, you light the candles, then when you get done, you snuff them, and you go out. But to go up, I remember him standing in the back with us, and he says, okay, here's how you walk, straight lines. We're standing in the back, he looked at us, he said, you see that cross up front? I want you to look straight at that cross the whole time you're walking. And sure enough, you walked up to the front, walked straight line, right to the cross. He said, now on your way out, you do the same thing. There's a clock in the back hanging up on the wall. Right dead center, you look at that clock, when you walk out, you'll walk a straight line. And you walked out and you did a straight line. Now, a friend who, the first time he did it, went up just fine. 
But as he was walking out on, on the way out, his mom was sitting over here on his left side. His mom stood up to watch her son walk out with the lighter and the snuffer. And the son turned to look at mom. As the son started looking at mom, he started walking off the center of the church. And all of a sudden you saw these people going like this, ducking the snuffer as he was walking by because he was walking at what he was looking at. And when we're sinning, our problem is we're not looking at Jesus. Our eyes are not on fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we're to exhort, we're to exhort those who are sinning to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. There is power. There's power in encouragement. It brings comfort to the afflicted. It brings encouragement to the faint-hearted. It brings ex exhorting to the sinning. Because like the Holy Spirit, what this ministry does, it prompts followers of Christ to walk in a Christ-like fashion on a regular basis. Robert Robinson wrote a hymn. He was a young man who uh, got involved with gangs and things back around 1735 is when he was born, but about 1755, he came over to the preaching of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an Englishman who came to the United States and was the first great revival in America. Under Whitfield's preaching, he came to Christ and became a pastor where he served a church for over 30 years. He wrote a hymn called, Come Thou Fount. But in the third verse, he has these words. And it identifies where we are and why we need this ministry of encouragement. Here's what he wrote. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts of love. Folks, we have wandering hearts. And we need a ministry of encouragement to comfort us when we're afflicted, encourage us when we're faint-hearted, Exhort us when we're sinning so we can fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's bow for prayer. Our Lord, we ask you to do a work in our hearts. Whether we find ourselves needing to be comforted, encouraged, exhorted, let your spirit do that. Or let a brother or sister do that. But in all that we do, Lord, cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may walk in a way that is worthy of Christ and brings honor to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion that we do regularly as a church. As we do that, it's one that we practice an open communion service. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake with us. Um, if we, you don't know Christ, we ask you not to partake. And what that means if you are not a believer is that you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you've recognized you're a sinner, that Christ has died on the cross for your sins, 
that he was raised on the third day and you've placed your faith or trust in him. And with that, you become a follower, a believer, a child of God. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. But if you haven't done that, we ask you not to partake because it says when you partake, you're actually proclaiming that to be true. But we also take a time before we partake together of, of a reflection, a time of silence. It can be a time of silence where all of a sudden there's confession where you realize, hmm, I haven't been one or I'm struggling with being afflicted or being faint-hearted or sinning and I need to confess where I'm at. It may be where you need the Spirit of God to work in your heart to do that. It may be where you've been convicted that you need to speak to somebody on those things. It may be where you're giving thanks to God for how he has comforted you, encouraged you, even exhorted you. But somehow as we come before we take communion, your time with him in preparation to share in this together. Let's take a time of silence before we partake.